Hello and welcome to Switch Your Money On. I'm Susanna Streeter, the Head of Money and Markets here at HL. And I'm Sarah Coles, the Head of Personal Finance. And you have another title as well, don't you, Sarah? Because a few days ago, I was Headline Money Expert of the Year. And I'm delighted to say in a relay race of sorts, I have handed the very shiny baton onto Sarah, who has scooped the title this year as voted by financial journalists at an illustrious awards due in central London. So awesome results, Sarah. Oh, thank you. I'm now an expert of everything, obviously, so you can literally ask me anything. (laughs) Well, I I did arrive just as the celebrations were getting going because I'd been at a defence conference and I arrived to see Sarah brandishing not just one, but two awards above her head, like Minnie Mouse ears for our research on the HL Savings and Resilience Barometer, which we were telling you about last week. So double celebrations. Yes. And after the gloomy aura of the last podcast, we're going to be much more positive this time around. So it's great to have some good news, but it is worth mentioning that it hasn't all been sweetness and light over the past week or so. Some of my focus has been on what's happening in China. We've had successive sets of data out showing the slowdown in recovery is continuing. While inflation shows signs of stubbornness elsewhere in the world, disinflationary forces are at work in China, which risk tipping the world's second largest economy into a deflation scenario. There will be some hope that lower Chinese prices will have boosted exports, but this has not yet been evident. Instead, they have been shrinking faster than expected. However, expectations that authorities will move to inject more stimulus into the economy have risen, which has averted a sharper move on markets. Interestingly, in China, a fast fall in port prices are partly why overall consumer prices have flatlined. It's a big contrast to here in the UK, where port prices have risen sharply, although Morrison's boss says he's hopeful prices will start to come down. But for now, it doesn't look like you'll bag a bargain, Sarah, when it comes to a pull port bun at a festival this summer. But then when it comes to festivals, there's very little that can be described as cheap. So when we booked this year's festivals, we were really shocked by how much accommodation cost and how ticket prices had risen and actually how many events were sold out. So it's actually more than when we were booking this time last year. So it could be that the age of going out has returned. And that's the focus of this episode of the podcast, which we're calling Summer Fair. Yes, we'll be speaking to Charlie Luckin, Managing Director of Signal Brewery, which operates a tap room and supplies events too. So it's really tied into the summer boom in hospitality and events. So Charlie, it's really good for you to make time in such a busy month of the year. How is the summer shaping up for you? Thanks for having me on. Um, yes, we are absolutely manic at the moment and uh, we're, we're struggling to keep up with demand. It'll be great to delve a bit deeper later in the podcast. We'll also be speaking to Sophie Lund-Yates, our lead equity analyst, about how companies who rely on us going out are faring. And Emma Wall, our head of investment research and analysis, will be taking the temperature from the point of view of funds. The hospitality and events industries have had a bit of a roller coaster ride over the past few years. So before COVID, it was actually a boom time for many. Take festivals, for example. In 2019, the year before COVID, there were almost a thousand music festivals across the UK, contributing 1.76 billion to the economy and attracting 5.2 million people. It was a fast growing industry too. Since 2015, total spend at festivals and the box office had risen by more than 150%. But of course, all that fell off a cliff with the arrival of COVID. Yes, that was rock bottom. But since then, we have been getting closer to normal. In the year to March 2022, attendance was back to 80% of its pre-COVID level. And among those aged 16 to 24, it had bounced back entirely. Eventbrite says searches for summer events were up a third this spring. 
Yes, and while music is a massive part of this, it's far from the only kind of festival experience on offer. So they cover everything from comedy to wellness and books. And of course, one of the most popular options is food. So 64% of people say they go to wine and food festivals. That certainly would be one for me. But we're not just going to more festivals, we're spending more of them too. Despite the fact we're having to devote so much of our income to making ends meet, 81% of festival goers expect to spend more on this summer's events than last summer's. Some of this, of course, is because of the impact of inflation. Recreation and culture was the biggest contributor to inflation during April and May. Ticket prices for Glastonbury, for example, were up 20% in a year. Now, this owes an awful lot to the fact it costs more to put on a festival. Two years of festival cancellations meant staff moved on and replacing them has proven very expensive. Before the pandemic, the starting rate for someone with experience was £80 a day. This year, Latitude was looking for staff with no experience for £145 a day. Meanwhile, there are fuel costs to contend with, especially after the ban on red diesel. And of course, we've also seen inflation in those things we might spend money on around festivals like hotels and restaurants. So that's a phenomenon anyone who's been to the Hay Literary Festival or the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is really familiar with. Actually, in Sweden, Beyonce's tour was said to have boosted demand for hotels so dramatically that it actually increased inflation in May. But even before the Beyonce bounce has hit the UK, we're seeing serious inflation among hotels, fast food outlets, restaurants and cafes. The cost of running these businesses has risen dramatically with the rise in energy and food costs and a chronic shortage of staff, which has pushed up wages. A lack of work during the pandemic pushed some staff into other sectors and persuaded some to stop working altogether, leaving a void. Vacancies are actually up almost 50% from their pre-COVID levels. So hospitality businesses are wrestling with the fact that their costs are rising exponentially and yet their customers are under so much pressure they can't afford to hike prices a penny more than they have to. Yeah, it could be much worse. I mean, there was always the worry that in this environment we'd stop going out and business would dry up. But that hasn't materialised yet. A study in March revealed that more than half of us are either still eating out as much as we did before the pandemic or we're actually doing so more nowadays. We're feeling the pressure and we're looking for discounts and less expensive menu options. But it appears that after being barred from going out for so long, it means we're prepared to prioritise spending on these things. Deloitte surveys spending plans each quarter and this spring it found that fewer people were planning to cut back on their spending in restaurants and bars than previously. So what does all this mean for companies operating in the sector? Let's bring in Sophie Lund-Yates here, who's been looking at a variety of companies in the hospitality and leisure sectors. So Sophie, I think you're going to start with a brewer this time. Hi, Sarah. Yes, so it certainly felt fitting to discuss a brewing company this week. You know, when we were first thinking about this episode, the first image that popped into my head was a beer garden, which potentially says a lot about me. So who better to look at than AB InBev, who are responsible for the likes of Budweiser, Stella and my personal summer favourite, Corona. Now, AB InBev's got off to a good start in 2023. You know, first quarter revenue rose 13.2% on an organic basis, which is a figure that, that usually ignores things like exchange rate movements and the effect of recent acquisitions or disposals. Um, and underlying operating profit grew 14.9% to 3.5 billion dollars um, as revenue growth outstripped the rising operating costs. 
So is this typical of drinks companies in general being doing okay? So the beverage industry has been holding firm in the face of consumers with less cash to spare. AB and Bev's volume growth is slim, but it has continued to creep in the right direction for now. And it'll be important to keep an eye on how this progresses throughout the year. And really looking at last year, rising commodity prices kept a lid on how much of the revenue increase fed through to the profit line. If inflation calms this year, that trend should start to look you know, more favourable. Um, and of course, the opposite is also true. And what about those brands? They must be a valuable commodity too. Yes, so AB InBev is benefiting from premiumization. So this is just a fancy way of saying people are preferring to go for higher end options and products, which some of the group's brands are benefiting from. Uh, the brewer also has footholds in less developed markets from Latin America to sub-Saharan Africa uh, and means there's scope for huge volume growth in the years ahead. You know, last we heard premiumization is a trend that's making its way into these regions too. So what would you say is less palatable about the company? Being frank about it, AB and Bev is carrying too much debt. You know, the last count, net debt was 3.5 times cash profit. Um, some 65% of scheduled debt obligations don't need repaying for five years or more. And interest payments are very manageable. Nonetheless, we're keen that ABI keeps its foot on the pedal where debt reduction is concerned. The group has a strong portfolio and a good global footprint, but debt reduction will be the focus for management for now, and that can keep a lid on progress. Yeah, and we've, of course, been talking about summer events and festivals on this podcast. So you've been looking at an events company too, haven't you, really tied into all of this? So certainly I've been looking at Live Nation Entertainment, which is a New York listed entertainment giant. You know, it has a market cap of over $21 billion and is a live event ticketing, sales and marketing company. Um, you know, as some of our listeners may know, it's a producer of live music concerts and it has three main operating segments, which are concerts, ticketing and sponsorship and advertising. Uh, it has a mixture of owned and operated venues. And as you can imagine, Live Nation had a pretty rough time of it during the pandemic and investors were definitely spooked. But the valuation has more than recovered now that normal life and you know optimism has re-entered the market in this area. So the industry itself has been criticised for things like ticket pricing issues. Has Live Nation been affected by that at all? The group's under a bit of pressure to provide clearer ticket pricing, I would say, and has told President Biden that it'll work to remove hidden fees. And I'll be looking out to see um, how and if that affects reported numbers, really. Um, Revenue is expected to be about $19.2 billion this year, with operating profit in the region of $967 million. So that just demonstrates the scale this company has. I've also made it this far without talking about Taylor Swift, which I'm quite proud of myself for, if I'm honest. Um, in all seriousness, the scale of this tour, which has been all over the news, just shows the genuine enthusiasm that exists for live entertainment in a post-lockdown world. And I think that represents a long-term opportunity. You know, the main thing to monitor where Live Nation is concerned is the risks of ups and downs, thanks to that sharp recovery in the valuation this year. So from the Beyonce bounce to the Taylor trend. Sophie, let's go back to pubs, because you do have another pub-related one for the last one. I am noticing a trend here. 
<laughs> you have caught me out there. So whereas AB and Bev definitely has links to pubs, obviously, its brands also benefit from people socialising at home who might pick a case of beer up for, for a barbecue. Um, I thought it made sense to also take a deeper look at a pure pub company. And I've gone with JD Weatherspoon, and not just because I'm mildly obsessed with their breakfasts. Um, so despite the ongoing pressures facing consumers in the hospitality industry, Weatherspoon's pubs are trading above pre-pandemic levels. We've seen that like-for-like sales were up 12.9% in the year to date. Um, And that said, profits aren't quite enjoying the same uplift. And that's because of, you know, enormous cost pressures. These challenges are made worse by the fact that, as most of us know, you know, Weatherspoon is, is known for its value offering and it's really fighting to retain that. It's wanting to keep its price increases below inflation, which is the right move if it wants to keep its customer base on side. But it does seem that prices are going to have to be pushed higher as inflation persists. The extent it will be able to do this without seeing volumes drop will be lower than other chains, in my opinion. So some challenging times ahead. So is it taking any specific steps to improve that profitability level? Sure. So Weatherspoon is is looking to sell over 20 pubs too because it wants to increase their average size and the distance between them. This should help footfall, uh, but the proof will be in the pudding really. And a return to cash generation has enabled further upgrades to the estate um, and a decent reduction in net debt levels as well. That said, the jury's still out on when returns to shareholders will return. Um, Weatherspoons has a different product and a strong offering, in my opinion, but the short term will be governed by how long inflation persists. And as we all know, that's a very tricky thing to map. I thought you were going to say that the proof will be in the hash browns, given how obsessed you are about breakfasts. But well, we have to wait. Oh, for the I missed next a podcast. trick. I've missed a trick there. <laughs> Thank you. It is great, Sophie, to be able to talk about some of these hospitality companies with a bit more positivity than the podcast we recorded right bang slap in the middle of the pandemic. And talking of positive developments, I should remind you that we have an email for you to get in touch with us. It's podcast at hl.co.uk. And we'd love to hear from you with any questions, thoughts or any sector you'd like us to explore in more details or any particular breakfast obsessions that you had or indeed anything else podcast related. But back to this episode and we want to dig a little deeper into how the return of our love of going out has affected businesses operating in the area. So Charlie Luckin, Managing Director of Signal Brewery, is still with us. So Charlie, what part do events play in your business? Uh, They play a small but very salient part in our business. We tend to be selling beer into the pubs mainly, um, but the festival uh, world is huge for us as well now. We tend to partner with festivals and sporting venues of between 500 and 5,000 people. 5,000, that's an awful lot of beer to supply. Do you think that people really are going out more? Does it back up the trends that we were talking about a little early with what you're seeing in your business? I have mixed feelings about that, really. I think there was a huge relief for people once COVID finished and suddenly everybody was going out. But I also think that there was a war chest of cash that people had saved up during the COVID um, two and a half years. And I think now that that uh, amount of money is waning and I think people have spent that now, if I'm, if I'm candid. So do you think this is the last summer hurrah? I think possibly, yes. Um, the inflationary cycle, as it is at the moment, is having a huge impact on people. Uh, we're certainly hearing from festival organisers that numbers are way down on previous years. And, you know, people are nervous now. And I, I don't think we can avoid that fact. 
So in terms of so when people actually do go out and, you know, um, go to festivals or come to your tap room, have you noticed a sort of change in their spending habits? Um, in, in the tap room, not so much. Um, we're, we're very fortunate to have a quite a sort of cool, edgy industrial space there. Um, which people find a bit more forgiving and uh, fun, possibly, than, than standard pubs. So people come there because it's a different experience. One of the things I, I know that you run is payday parties. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, this is a new venture for us. We decided not just to um, encourage people in to, get a, to have a drink with us, um, but we wanted to treat people to a little bit of uh, value for money at last. Prices in pubs have gone up so radically... Um, mainly owing to uh, the problem with utilities and uh, people being stretched. All the publicans are struggling um, with very high utility bills at the moment. So prices have had to shoot up. Uh, Some pubs are charging £7 plus for a pint now, certainly in in the capital. So what we're going to do is every pay weekend, uh, we're going to have a payday party down at the brewery uh, whereby you can have a, a pint and a slice of pizza for a good old-fashioned fiver. And, I mean, you, you're talking a little bit there about, about the pressures that landlords are under, and have you noticed how they how their buying trends have changed or, or have some of them even gone out of business? Yes, un- unfortunately, um, th- there is a number of, of uh, businesses that have decided to, to throw the towel in, uh, which we're, we're really sad about. Um, not many of our specific clients, but I'm, I'm certainly hearing of, of issues um, with other people's as well. Are they changing the mix of what they're interested in buying in order to sort of to try and, and you know, get a better margin on, on what they're going to sell? Yes, they're constantly looking for um, a better margin. Um, we're obviously a craft brewer, um, trying to be a commercial style brewer. Um, but, you know, in comparison to the macro brands, uh, we have to, to really pedal hard to um, to keep up with the macro brands and their pricing. So a pint and a slice for a fiver certainly sounds appealing. Is the whole idea really to get new people through the door so that you can then sell them more expensive craft beer uh, once they become more loyal? Uh, we prefer to call it value for money and um, just, you know, just give people a better experience, really. Um, you know, the beer that we produce is completely natural beer, for instance. So we're, we're really trying to push that to the market rather than anything containing chemicals, etc. So you, you also sell sort of direct to people at home. So the sort of subscriptions and the, the home delivery market. So how important is it for you to be diversified in, in times like this? Um, I think extremely uh, important. We've got to remain nimble at all times. Um, We launched a subscription service uh, whereby you really benefit from uh, the price you're paying on a monthly basis um, to receive really good quality beer to your doorstep. We're hearing a lot as well in the hospitality business about just how hard it is to recruit staff. What kind of uh, labour shortages, if any, have you experienced? Um, Many, actually. We've struggled to find staff at times. Um, Fortunately, uh, we we have rich pickings with the university students, though, um, and they are with us for the peak periods during the summer. So they're really helping keep your business afloat by not just drinking all the beer at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, they, they go drinking at uni and then they come serving drink when they're not in uni. <laughs> it looks like a sort of very tough time at the moment and generally for, you know, for the, the hospitality industry. Where do you see this changing? Do you see us sort of turning a corner anytime soon or, or do you think we're in this for the long haul? I think I'm a bit of a realist in this respect. And, um, 
you know, watching inflation as it is, and certainly the squeeze that we're having put on us by the HMRC, duty is going up um, on beers between 3.5% and 8.5% um, next month. I think possibly that there's going to be a quieter time, if that's a, a decent way to describe it. Are you concerned as well about the impact of this trend for zero alcohol beers on your business or are you trying to tap in to that trend as well? Uh, Currently, we're not going to go down the route of zero alcohol or low alcohol. That's not for us at the moment. We feel that we've got a great portfolio of beers. We feel that uh, we're not going to try and get involved in it at, at this current stage. How would you sum up then uh, your feelings about the year ahead, Charlie? Or are you looking like kind of further over the horizon and sensing that there could be a return once inflation dies down? As a business of our size, in its relative infancy, we've been running for seven years. I think we're in a good place. But I think appetite for beer, certainly macro beer, is certainly uh, changing significantly. And I think people want a bit more value for their buck. We'll probably be absolutely fine, I'd say. Well, cheers to that. And thank you very much, Charlie, uh, for coming on to the podcast and telling us a little bit more about uh, your view of the landscape currently. Thank you for having me. So now it's time to get a fund manager's view with Emma Wall, our Head of Investment Analysis and Research. Hello. Today, the 25th of July, I am talking to Audrey Ryan, manager of the Aegon Ethical Equity Fund. Hello, Audrey. Hello. Uh, delighted to catch up with you today. Thanks for joining me. And today we are talking about the hospitality sector. So before we get into any stock specifics, because I know you have a couple in the portfolio, I thought we could broadly talk about the challenges that the sector has faced over the last few years, because it's had not one, but two once in a lifetime events, which have impacted revenues and profits and the ability for those companies to find staff and pay for things, hasn't it? Yes. I should start by saying that the Egon Ethical Equity Fund can only invest in companies that pass our proprietary ethical screening process, which means that there are a number of stocks within the travel and leisure sector that we cannot invest in. As an example, pubs and restaurants that derive more than 10% of their business from the sale of alcohol would not be investable for the fund. But yes, the travel and leisure sector is relatively diverse, both in terms of companies within it, from a geographic exposure perspective, but also in terms of subsectors within it. So, you know, from hotels to contract caterers to airlines and pubs and restaurants. So this provides the opportunity to invest in some, what I would deem to be long-term structural growth plays. But in addition to that, you know, some slightly more cyclical businesses. It also provides, you know, quite a nice mix within the sector to those companies who are exposed to leisure spend, but also those exposed to corporate spend. Um, But as you rightly say, the global pandemic was a challenging environment for a number of companies in the sector. However, um, I believe that a number of those businesses have dealt well with the situation and have emerged um, in a stronger um, position. We've also seen varying degrees of reopening by countries 
after um, the pandemic. And this has happened at different stages. So, you know, there are still further benefits to come for a number of companies as things uh, continue to normalise. I think many people would assume that the cost of living crisis would potentially have a larger impact on hospitality because ultimately, is this a discretionary spend? You know, are people cutting back from holidays, from meals out as prices, bills are all rising? Absolutely. I think, you know, there are well-documented macro and consumer-related pressures out there, but it would appear that consumers are still relatively keen to spend in the hospitality space. I still see that there is some pent-up demand to work through, so whether that be on the overseas holiday or indeed staycations. And post the period of the pandemic, um, just being able to go out and either enjoy an experience or an event, you know, such as a concert or a wedding. But I would absolutely acknowledge the pressures on a number of UK households and very aware of the delay in the transmission effect as, you know, rates have moved up to the 5% level. I guess we are still expecting rates to move slightly higher. That said, as we progress through the second half of this year, I would hope that some of the pressure on household costs, whether that be on fuel or indeed on food, should abate to some degree. So let's turn then to some stock examples. Looking at the portfolio of your fund, where are you seeing opportunities within the sector? The one I would like to highlight today would be Whitbread, which many of you will be familiar with. They are a leading operator in the UK mid-scale and economy hotel market um, with their premier in brand and restaurants in the UK, but also a growing presence in the German budget hotels market. So they have a very strong asset-backed business model and Premier Inn has both scale and a leading market position within their well-invested brand and also in addition to that distribution strength. So we believe they are well positioned uh, to continue to capitalise on the structural supply opportunities that there are within the marketplace and to accelerate their market share by leveraging their strong financial covenant. Budget hotels have typically been relatively resilient in downturns, and Premier Inn has both enhanced its brand and its distribution strength over the past few years. And in the current backdrop, there is some evidence of reduced competition in terms of expansion. Clearly, tighter financial markets are going to make it somewhat more challenging for some other players within the industry. Nothing, of course, with investing is guaranteed. But how do you model something like the economic outlook and the inflation and indeed interest rate outlook on a company such as that when you are doing your analysis? Because as you say yourself, things are likely to remain challenged in terms of inflation interest rates for some little while yet. Many travel and leisure companies have had a a relatively challenging time dealing with the inflationary pressures out there, specifically on both wages and indeed on energy. But looking forward, we should hopefully see some respite in both 
as inflation remains elevated but moderates into the year end. I guess what we're seeing is in the current backdrop, we do have consumer inflation expectations now starting to fall. Producer prices are starting to normalise. And whilst wage growth is still high generally, some businesses we are engaging with are suggesting labour markets are much less tight than they were. So if these trends continue, one would hope that both inflation and wages are likely to um, head lower as we progress through the next few quarters. For Whitbread itself, their full year 23 revenues for the business are up 27% relative to what we saw pre-pandemic in full year 20. And what we've seen is a good degree of recovery on the occupancy side. So that's back to the low 80% level. And I guess the focus going forward will much more be about the pricing environment, about the rate they can drive throughout their business. Thank you very much. Reasons indeed to be cautiously optimistic. Thanks for talking today. Thank you. And that was Emma Wall, our Head of Investment Analysis and Research. And please bear in mind that in that interview, those were the views of the fund manager and are not individual stock recommendations. You're listening to Switch Your Money On from Hargreaves Lansdowne. And now it is time for the stat of the week. And as we're talking, Sarah, about summer and hospitality, I thought we could briefly pop over to the Wimbledon tennis tournament and their iconic strawberries and cream. And one thing you might not know is that the tournament organisers have decided to defy inflation and keep their strawberries at £2.50, the same price they've been for about a decade. And that's despite the fact that the rest of the prices are really on the steep side like a glass of Pims for £11.20. But Sarah, how many strawberries do you think are consumed during the tournament? (laughs) I thought you were going to ask me a question about Pims. I thought I was going to be on top of it, but I I just have no idea. I don't even know how I'd guess how many strawberries are eaten. So why don't you give me a clue? Okay, it's somewhere between 30 and 40 tonnes. How about 35 tonnes? These are hard questions, aren't they? I'm sorry. Yes, it's, it's almost, it's 38 tonnes washed down with a river of pins. <laughs> That's starting to sound like one of my grocery shops. <laughs> For your teenagers in particular. Yes, yes, they, they do love a bit of strawberries and cream. I might have developed a taste for PIMS. Well, that's all from us for now. But before we go, we do need to remind you that this was recorded on July the 18th, 2023, and all information was correct at the time of recording. Nothing in this podcast is personal advice. You should seek advice if you're not sure what's right for you. Unlike the security offered by cash, investments rise and fall in value, so you could get back less than you invest. Yes, this is not advice or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any investment. No view is given on the present or future value or price of any investment, and investors should form their own view on any proposed investment. And this hasn't been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research and is considered a marketing communication. Non-independent research is not subject to FCA rules, prohibiting dealing ahead of research. However, HL has put controls in place, including dealing restrictions, physical and information barriers to manage potential conflicts of interest presented by such dealing. You can see our full non-independent research disclosure on our website for more information. So all that's left is for me to thank Sophie, Emma, our guests and our producer, Elizabeth Watson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again soon. Bye-bye.